Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Thanks for allowing us to share this time with you. Honestly, it's our favorite time of the day where we get to hang out together and talk about how the truth of God's Word can make a huge difference in your life. And that's what we're going to hear from Richard in a way that only he can do with words of hope, insight, and humor. You may be stuck in traffic or stuck in life. Either way, today's message is going to help get you on the right track as you learn how much God loves you right where you are. So let's get right into today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is, It's a Wonderful Life. 1946, this movie comes out, and it really didn't do very well, but in subsequent years, it's actually been named one of the top 100 films ever made. And if you remember the story, George Bailey decides to stay in his little town and help the people, and it's kind, and on Christmas Eve, I think it was, he was supposed to make a deposit, but evil old man Potter found his deposit, kept it, and George despairs, doesn't know what to do, ends up out in a snowstorm. I think he's going to jump off a bridge and his guardian angel, Clarence, jumps in before he can. And then George is tasked with rescuing, he didn't know, his guardian angel. And so Clarence decides to show George, George is saying, well, it would have been better if I had not been born. And so he says, okay, I'll show you what that looks like. If your life sucks so much that you wish you never had been born, you're in a tough spot. And I've shared before that I've had a point in my life where I thought about killing myself, but I never wished that I hadn't been born. I didn't want to die because I wanted to, I just wanted to die. I was thinking about killing myself because I didn't know how to live. But there are people who want to die because they think what's happened to them is so catastrophic or what they've done is so catastrophic that it'd just been better if they had never been born. So I'd like to start today in Job. Actually, we'll read a couple of verses here out of Job chapter one and two. And a lot of time is spent on these first few chapters and then maybe at the end a little bit, but something changes pretty dramatically. Job is suggested by God to Satan in terms of a man who basically is going to trust him no matter what. He's going to follow God no matter what. And so Satan is given authority to hit Job and his livestock, his camels. Then basically some type of windstorm hits a house where all of his children were gathered, I think 10 kids. And all in one day, one messenger after another show up and boom, 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 and he's lost everything. His wife is still alive, he's alive, he has his health. And in Job chapter one, down in verse, let's see, go down to 30. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You say, well, you got to have some game to do that. The devil goes back to God and says, okay, yeah, but you, you haven't let me touch his health. Chapter 2, boils cover his whole body. He's literally scraping skin off of his body. It's such a mess. And then you get to the end of that chapter 2, 
Go down to verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Three guys show up, three of his friends show up. I do want to read you this. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So the buddies show up. They're overwhelmed because they don't even recognize him and what he's gone through. And seven days, seven nights solid, no one says a thing. Now, what do you suppose when Job finally speaks, he's going to say? He said, Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we not accept if we accept good adversity? So he's going to come out with something very spiritual and profound. Job chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said, A male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. Oh, may that night be barren. No joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light, but have none and not see the dawning of the day, because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves or with princes who had gold who filled their houses with silver or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child now he goes from dying at birth to why was I not a miscarriage like infants who never saw light there the wicked cease from troubling there the weary are at rest there the prisoners rest together they do not hear the voice of the oppressor the small and the greater there and the servant is free from his master why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter of soul who long for death, but it does not come and search for it more than hidden treasure who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in for my sighing comes before I eat and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. 
and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. So you would assume, because of his first responses, that chapter 3 would be different. But he finally speaks and feels like it had been better if I had not been born. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Verse 1, then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun, and look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive, yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. And then in Matthew chapter 26 verse 24 the son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him and talking about being betrayed and dying on the cross and being raised from the dead but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed it would have been good for that man if he had not been born so you say well wow that's a little heavy a little intense these people are walking around and if it's not you you run into them and life is so overwhelming, so desperate, so empty. They've chased everything there is to chase, or something has happened to them out of their control. And we have the, on the Job story, we have the benefit of looking back on it and seeing what God was up to. Job's just down here living. And yet God has authorized things in his life that bring about catastrophic tragedy in his life. And he's Am I going to trust him or not? Now, what if Job chapter 3 had come true? What if Job never lived? You say, well, God would have picked somebody else. Do you have any idea how many people speak of Job over the thousands of years since he lived? And if you went to Job in the midst of all that and he said, chapter 3, I wish I had never been born. You say, well, we're going to show you what that would look like. Your story will go untold because it won't happen. You don't exist. And the hope that your hope provided once you got through all this and God restored twofold everything that he had, you say, yeah, but he still had tragedy. Everybody's got tragedy. What people need is hope. Now look at Luke chapter 2. So you think about this idea of I wish I had never been born. I don't believe that Jesus felt that way. But once he arrived and you realize why he's here and things were being said while he's an infant to his parents about who he is and what's coming. If anybody could say, I wish I had never been born, it would have been Jesus because his being born was going to cost him his life and no reason to die but us. And in Luke chapter 2, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now you say, well, just some, some kid was born. 
This may seem like an odd thing to say about Jesus. There are churches where people line up to see certain people. There are places that we go and people stand in line forever to get a glimpse of some famous person. And Jesus is born not even in an inn. He's born in a stable. And no one would have known that he was born if it hadn't been for the angels. And if it hadn't been for angels that announced it to shepherds and shepherds who were willing to respond and go to see this baby. I share this with people. Jesus did not save the world when he came to earth. He did not heal everyone who was sick. As far as we know, he never got more than 200 miles from where he was born. What about the American Indians? What about the Chinese? What about the Indians, the Russians, the you know, Australians, Aborigines, there's people all over the world. He comes, he's born, he lives, he dies, he's buried, he's raised from the dead, and he's out. And all of this happens almost in total obscurity, except for the people that knew what was going on in that part of the world and in heaven, who he was. So he did not save the world while he was here, but he made the saving of the world possible while he was here. So if you're one of these people and you say, well, I was born in obscurity. I spent some time recently with a friend who started a huge company. He was born in West Dallas, grew up with his grandmother and nobody, nobody, nothing. And now, you know, everything you could imagine he has. He said, well, nobody knows who I am. Nobody cares who I am. If I was never even born, it wouldn't even make a difference. You don't know that. I know the devil tried to kill me when I was in my 20s. Put thoughts in my head. Take your life. Hit that bridge. Get out of here. It won't matter. But I'm going to tell you something. Turned out it mattered. It mattered. And I don't say this in a cocky way, but he has made a difference in my life and through my life. And if I had died, so many things would not have happened. You say, well, he would have made it up with someone else. If you're missing, something's missing. Amen. I think we've all put together puzzles. There's nothing worse than a thousand piece puzzle. And I don't like, you know, I'm not big on these big puzzles unless I open the box myself. <laughs> I want it sealed when I open it. Because there's always some idiot who puts it together and drops a piece under the table and puts it back in the box and you spend days putting it together and there is a missing piece. Why did we even put it? It's not finished. And so many times you are the missing piece. And you say, well, it won't matter. This is one of my huge frustrations about people who think they can worship at home and blow off gathering as a church. A church is a body, a body has members. And when you are not physically present in the gathering of a body of believers somewhere, there's a piece missing. Let me just read you the rest of this. Verse eight, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. So this nobody kid is born, and yet the angels go to the least, the shepherds, the least of anybody you'd announce this to. And they're afraid. 
Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And I like the way the angel showed up. Even angels are sensitive because one shows up, scares them a little bit, and then boom. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marvel at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. You say, well, what if Jesus had never come? What if he had never been born? Would that have made a difference? I'll tell you one thing that would be different. We would be trying to find a temple and haul in livestock to pay for our sins. And it wouldn't be Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths. We would be trying to figure out some way to connect with this God. And the only way to connect to him would be through the sacrificial system. And we're Gentiles. And so unless we converted to Judaism, we'd be sunk. It is impossible to calculate what this one man made possible. And you say, well, what if Jesus had not shown up? What if he had not been born? The interesting thing about that is there is no backup. There is no plan B. And most people, some fewer than I guess know this than used to, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does that mean? There's only one. So if Jesus comes and he sins, then what are we going to do? You say, well, that didn't happen. A lot riding on him being who he says he was and doing what he was supposed to do. So this is a kind of a, I guess, maybe not the most uplifting question I'm ever going to ask you. But let's say you had never been born. Would it just be a cosmic so what? And do you ever wish that you had never been born? Romans 5.19 says this, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. You say, well, I wish I had never been born. I'm going to give you an answer to that dilemma. Try again. You say, what do you mean? Just get born again. If being born the first time screwed your life up so bad that you wish you had never been born, I just suggest making another run at it. It's one of the few things in life that you can't experience. You can't be born again unless you've been born. But if the first time you were born screwed everything up, let's try again. Just be born again. He said, well, what did that do? I don't know. Try it. I will tell you this. If you've been born once, you have no hope. 
If you've been born twice, you have a shot at a wonderful life. A wonderful life. But not without a second birth. So Adam gets made. Jesus comes. He dies as the last Adam and the second man. And then you're born. And you rock along and go, well, this is terrible or it's not working. And maybe gets so bad, I wish I had never been born. And someone says to you, be born again. Jesus said, John chapter 3, you got to be born again. And you say, well, what happens then? That same Jesus takes up residence in the person of the Holy Spirit in your physical body. A woman in this room today said that she's going home to visit her family. And one of her prayers was that they would see her light. And people hear that and say, well, that's not right. Isn't it his light? Kind of. Except that he said, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. So she got it right. Now, that particular woman I've known for a while, and when I met her, if the light was on, the dimmer was turned way down. But he's been sliding that light up. And when she goes home, there's no way they cannot see because her light overcomes that darkness because of his light in her life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He did none of those things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to the cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race, the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man on earth as much as that one solitary life. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. 
You say, well, how can one person make such a difference? Turns out he was God. He is God. You say, but I'm nobody. And that's where you're wrong. Because why would God come after nobody if you were nobody? You say, well, if I do what you're saying and I am born a second time and I trust him and he moves in, what will happen? Oh, something will happen. <laughs> something will happen. And it may be a tough life, but it is definitely a wonderful life with him. And Job proved that even if you trust him, things can happen. But when you trust him, no matter what happens, you know he doesn't just have your back. He's got your front. He's got your side, your inside. He's got you. And uh, nobody's going to take better care of you than him. So my suggestion is, if you've only been born once, try again. And once you're born a second time, trust him. Let him live in you. Let him live through you. And you will discover that the difference you thought you could never make, the whole world changes because he changes you and your world. And there's no way the rest of the world can't be changed. This has been Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. There's only one reason we do this program, to take the planet with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message and our mission. And you have a vital part of doing that along with us. If you've been encouraged by these talks with Richard, be sure to share with someone about the change they've made in your life. And we'd love to hear your story as to how the talks have made a difference to you. Give us a call. We'd love to talk with you. 855-6-RICHARD. You can also reach us through our website, richardellistalks.com. And while you're there, check out all the fun and informative pages we put together for you, richardellistalks.com. While you're there, be sure to click on the Contribute tab at the top to send your generous gift. If the program is making a difference to you, your gift will make a big difference to us. Until next time, thanks so much for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.